That's a promise to us. Just any day, and we so look forward to that, don't we? Amen. God bless you. Welcome to the house of the Lord. This morning, it's good to be in the house of the Lord once again, isn't it? Amen. Don't you love the Lord? Amen. It's good to see each one of you. Smith Key's back. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Each one that could be here. Amen. Remember, Brother Ed, he's. Right now, ministering down in Vancouver, a living word down there, and speaking the word of God. He's instant in season and out of season. <laughs> he was telling me he wanted to sit and just listen, but he's speaking as well. So if you think of him while I'm speaking, I think I wish Brother Ed was here. Just remember him in prayer. <laughs> he's speaking as well. But uh, I'll bring you greetings from Cloverdale. We were down there and a couple weeks ago now and Brother Ed Bisco wanted to send his greetings back to each one, especially Brother Harold. I haven't had a chance to do it personally, but God bless you. And Brother Tom as well. Brother Tom Ray wanted to send his greetings. My own father, Brother Tim, he wanted to say greet the people and say God bless you. And they think of you often. I wanted to say Lord bless you and they're praying for you. They appreciate all you do and mention they appreciate what we do in the mission field how that we're involved around the world and how it affects the bride of Christ in such a positive way. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Let's turn your Bibles together. Thank you, musicians. I appreciate that. And the song couldn't have been more fitting, Sister Angie. God bless you. Amen. Is there anything that God can't handle? Not one thing. He's got it all in control. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. Amen. So they appreciate the prayers this, this week and Brother Moses this morning. God bless you. It's good to be in one mind and in one accord. We heard that on Wednesday night. What God can do when we get united together. Let's bow our heads together. Let's just approach him one more time. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, that you're here, Lord. Father, we know it's a promise wherever two or three are gathered in your name, you be there in the midst of them. And, but Lord, it's more than that. We know that you are here. Lord, we thank you that we can rely on those promises, but we look to the unseen this morning. We ask that you come and meet every need. 
Speak to our hearts, Lord. We love you, Lord, and we ask that your will would be done this morning. Lord, you know before the foundation of the world that who would be here and who would stream and who would sit in the different places in the building and where they would be and who would be in the nursery, Lord, and whose children would act a certain way and who would have to spend most of their time in the baby room. But, Lord, you saw all those things and you knew you got something for each one. So, Father, I pray you come and permeate our hearts and our souls, Lord. We just open it to you and ask that you come inside. Take the word, Lord, and reveal it to our hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask. Amen. Amen. Daniel chapter 10. We'll just read a couple verses here, then we'll go to 2 Kings as well. We'll start at verse 10. <clears throat> Writes, and behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. That's quite a touch. There was something about it that he just went right to his face before God. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved. Now we could read that and we could just take it as Daniel and say Daniel was a prophet and he was a great man and he'd done so much for the Lord. He'd stood in front of kings and potentates and he was just a wonderful man, but it was more than that. I believe the bride is beloved. So he says, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved. Understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard. And I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. Below Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me. And I remained there with the kings of Persia. Amen. Let's turn also over to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 6. Second Kings chapter 6 and verse 13 would write this and say, and he said, go and spy where he is that I may tend and fetch him. They're looking for Elisha. And it was told him saying, behold, he's in Dolphin. And therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host in 
compass the city, both with horses and chariots. And the servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Amen. And I just want to read a couple. You don't have to turn to them, but Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 27 would read this. And it would say, the eternal God is thy refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. And he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee and shall say, destroy them. If I could read just one more place as it just came to me as I was standing there. Mark chapter 11, verse 22. It says, and Jesus answered and said unto them, have faith in God. But verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Now we know the way the prophet would take this scripture. It's not whatever he would say, what you say. As as the angel said to Daniel, the moment thy word was spoken, I was coming. It was heard. And he says, whatsoever shall... Whatsoever shall say, that, what's, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he ha- saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Amen. Amen. May the Lord's blessing to the word. You may have your seats. Amen. As we heard on Wednesday, I'll just reiterate momentarily, but Brother Max was talking about the word shall. It shall happen and it shall be. And when you see that word, it's a notation that something is going to happen. It's a shall happen. And uh, as someone that's in the trades and reads code books and has to follow certain codes, there's, there's some codes that you have that say, well, you can do this or that. And, and, and it leaves you some variance, and, and, and you can kind of interpret it your own way. But there's some codes that say, you shall do this, and you shall do that. And I'll tell you, if you don't do it, they'll fail you. Because you have to do it. The code is very clear in saying, you shall do this. And, and, and you shall make sure it looks exactly this way, and it is done exactly this way. Because it's for a purpose. Because afterwards in plumbing, for example, if you do something that, that, is, that is shall be done this way and you don't do it that way, afterwise, afterwards it's all covered up, it's all finished, nobody can see it in the wall anymore. All my hard work just gets all covered up, Brother Bob, eh? But you know, that's the way it is. But, but afterwards, you look at it and it just doesn't work. Uh, but the person can't see it. They can't look at it and see what's done wrong. It's all been covered up. It's all been covered over, but they're turning the sink on and it's just filling up and it's not draining. Somebody did something wrong. It shall be done this way and they didn't do it that way. Amen. It's the same thing when we get in the spiritual. We can cover things up and cover things up, but when the push comes to shove and that it's supposed to do a certain way and you're supposed to act a certain way, if you've just covered up, your own man-made ideas and dogmas and creeds, pretty soon you'll find out it just doesn't hold. 
Amen. But, but now uh, I want to take this and take a step back because it's Sunday morning. Maybe we'll just take it a bit slower and if that'd be all right. But Brother Branham would preach several times a message called looking to, to the unseen or looking at the unseen in which he would detail what it is to walk by faith and not by sight. And that's, that's really what a Christian is. A Christian looks at the unseen. And we could all detail the account. I'm sure if I went down the pew, most, if not all of you, could detail the account of Abraham. If you've listened to the message of your life or for a few years even, you've heard the story of Abraham over and over and over again to the point where it's become repetition in our minds where when we hear Brother Bannon begin to talk about Abraham, we could almost finish his sentences. We could almost know exactly what the next paragraph is going to be. Even if I haven't listened to that tape for a long time, still, I know he's talking to Abraham. I know where he's going to go. I know what he's going to say. I know how it's going to happen. But it's still a reality. It's still so real, and somehow there's something that comes out of it that you go, ah, I never really thought about it that way, and now it comes in a whole new light and a whole new revelation, which is, uh, that's just the Lord. But, but we, we could detail that, and we could all detail about how he's called by God to a land that he would show him, and Abraham would uproot his family and follow without being able to explain their geographical location, without being able to tell them exactly where we're going. Now, you fathers, just imagine that for a moment. Get your whole family in the car. Say, we're going for a drive. Where are we going, Dad? Don't know. How long? Don't know. We're just driving. Which way? Not exactly sure. I just feel go this way. You know, if, you're, if your children are like my children, they like to make sure I'm going the right direction. You know, and sometimes they get a little upset if they want to go Range Road 20 and I want to take Range Road 15, but Dad, we want to go that way today. And I'm like, no, I want to go this way. And that's just the conversations you have with, with children because they, they know best, you know, they think anyways. But, but imagine the way it would be if you got your children in there and you say, we're just going to go. That's the way Abraham was. He wasn't with his children. It was just with his wife. But then next thing you know, Lot comes along and says, yeah, I'm with you too. And then his father comes along and they get out there with their servants and they're all, Abraham, where we're going? Don't know. Which direction are we going? That way. Kind of west, I'm not really sure. Why, but I feel drawn that way. Something's telling me just do that. It was something he was looking at that wasn't seen. The rest of them could look and say, well, I can, they could look at the sun and they could look at the stars and they could make sure. And, uh, imagine the navigational problems they were having as maybe Lot thought, I'm going to take over. I'm a smart guy. I'm going to be the navigator of the crew. But he's got no idea which direction they're supposed to go. He could tell you which way they're going the entire time. He could look at the stars. He could see the sun. He's okay, we're going due west. We're going due west. Why are we turning a little bit north? Now we're going a little bit south. Where are we going, Abraham? I just feel I'd go this way. I didn't ask you to follow. You just followed. <laughs> but we're called to do much the same today in the spiritual to live our lives with the hope of glory. As it says in Colossians 1.27, it says, To whom God hath made known what is the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we're not even looking at it. I know exactly what that all entails. I don't. I can read the message. I can read the scripture. I can know so far. Are you with me? I'm just trying to get you into a certain mindset so we can carry on. 
But, but now once, once you get to that certain place, we realize that's as far as my revelation goes. Now what's beyond that, I don't know. You know, the world lives in such a way where they're so terrified of life after death. A lot of people want to believe there's just death and taxes afterwards, just blackness and nothing. Hell, is it really real heaven? I don't really know what's really going on. They're not really too sure because they're so terrified of what could be the unknown. What is the unseen? What goes beyond what I can tangibly touch? But we know that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that are not seen. So even though they're unseen, there's a particular evidence, and that's what Abraham was following the entire time, was saying, I can't see it, and I can't exactly describe it to you, but there's an evidence in me that says it's real. And there is a land that God is calling me to. Amen. There's something in a believer that says, I don't exactly know what it's going to be like. I have no idea what transparent gold actually looks like. I don't know what it's going to feel like to walk down streets like that. I don't know what great big walls of so many feet high. I think it's over 200 if I'm not mistaken. And 1,500 mile high city and the great pyramid and the lamb is the land. I have no idea what it's going to look like. I could get the best artist in the world to paint the best picture and it still wouldn't touch it. Hey man, even the Hoffman's head of Christ, they would paint that in Jesus. And Brother Brown would say, it's just the closest I've ever seen, but it still doesn't quite come to it. It doesn't quite come to the, the, the compassion that's in the face of Christ because you can't quite comprehend it. It's an unseen, but yet there's an evidence within your heart that says, but I know that it's real. I know there's a lamb beyond the river. I know there's a house waiting there for me. He said if it wasn't so, he would have told me. And I got faith in his word more than I have faith in what I can physically see with my eyes. We have some things that we could look at. We have a particular insight into what heaven will be. We could listen to messages like Future Home and conjure up some idea. We could even listen to the account of going beyond the curtain of time. And the list of that does give us a peace within our heart and gives us such a longing for that land, doesn't it? It just gives us such a feeling that it just overwhelms when you listen to that message and you hear him account beyond the curtain of time and how he talks about being there and how, you know, Perfection doesn't touch it, sublime doesn't touch it, all these things. It's just so much beyond that. It just gives you such an overwhelming feeling because you can't comprehend it in your own mind. And, and, and there's, there's certain things, but we still, we walk by faith. I can't tell you exactly where the new Jerusalem will sit geographically. We might have our ideas. We might feel like, I feel like it would sit just exactly where Jerusalem is and it would just be that way. The Bible says there'd be no more sea. What does that mean? Does that mean that there'll be just dried up oceans? Does that mean all the land will be flat? Or is that a spiritual symbol? I'm not doing this to try and put questions in your mind, but I'm doing it for a purpose to get you to realize something. You have to walk by faith. You have to recognize that we're not going to understand everything that's not important to understand. Even Brother Branham preached and he talked about future home and different things, people begin to think, well, you know, because Brother Branham said it would reach from this place to that place. They begin to think, well, that's exactly, it'd be right over the United States. We've got to get in Jeffersonville to be in the New Jerusalem. And without realizing, that literally means nothing because it's a new heaven and a new earth. Which means it's not that this one's annihilated, but rather that this one's made over. We walk by faith. We know one thing for sure. 
we don't want to miss it. We know that you must be born again. We could take that in John chapter 3, and it's been preached on over and over. We could preach for hours on it again. John chapter 3, where Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You cannot see the kingdom of heaven. You cannot understand it. You cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven except a man be born again. But, but then the scripture goes on in Matthew chapter 5. But, um, um, Jesus would talk, and he would say, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now, naturally, you look at that and say, what, what, what does that mean, the, the, the pressure of it? If you're trying to live it yourself, it's a pressure. Be perfect as God is perfect. How? Why would God ever require such a thing? How can I be perfect? Exactly what does that entail? As I'm sure even Father Abraham, when he was told by the Almighty, walk before me and be thou perfect. It was almost a, yes, Lord. No idea how that's going to happen. But he could, he could sure say that he failed it according to the intellectual conception of perfection. But the key was not in the fleshly conception of perfection. God looked at it and said he staggered not at the promise. Even after lying about the one that he was to fulfill the promise with, say, she's just my sister, half truth. Even after going and upon the, the, the wishes of his wife, the pretense of his wife's desire, went and had an Ishmael through Hagar, but God still looked at him and said, he didn't stagger. But Abraham might look at it and say, well, <laughs> I failed that perfection part. But that wasn't the point. The point wasn't in fleshly perfection. It wasn't that it would be intellectually conceived that the people around you in the world would look and see, that person is perfect. No, they would look and see, something's different. They even thought he was crazy, Brother Branham would say, because there he is walking around, 99, and he's saying, now, we're going to have a child. We're going to have a child. We're going to have a child. And they're going, you're, you're out of your mind. You can't have a child at this age. You can't possibly do that. But God looked at it and says, that's perfection. Because he's looking at the unseen. He's trusting in me. He's looking at his faith and saying, this is going to happen regardless of how it looks. Hallelujah. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8. God was pleased to look on the heart. So that Abraham wasn't walking after the flesh. He was walking after the spirit. And in Romans chapter 8, find a lovely account of how a Christian ought to walk. Verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Amen. Now, once again, if I asked you to quote that to me, most of you, if not all of you, could quote that without missing a beat. But now it's living it. There is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, 
who are not walking after the flesh. In other words, they're not allured by, they're not taking after, they're not following the temptations and the lusts of the flesh and the eyes and the pride of life and all of those things and going after those temptations, but rather they're looking at the unseen and when things don't look right, they're still saying it's right. When things don't seem like that's the way, perhaps the right decision, perhaps the world economy is doing this or it's doing that, they say it doesn't matter. I'm looking at what my faith in God has to say. And verse 2 would say, for, we, for the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And we know this isn't that all of a sudden you're free from everything in the Old Testament, but rather you, Jesus paid the penalty. And that you're free from the law of sin and death, that rather it gives you a way by the Holy Spirit to live what we were meant to live even under the law of the Old Testament. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, not that it was in sinful flesh, but in the likeness of it, and for sin condemned, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. And that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Hallelujah. Not that it's fulfilled just in Christ. Not that it's just in the Holy One. It's just in a prophet now. But that the righteousness of the law, the things that man couldn't live over and over, had to keep bringing the lamb, bringing the lamb, bringing the lamb. He says that we could fulfill the righteousness of the law. Who walk not after the flesh. In other words, it's not that the righteousness is in our flesh. That we in our flesh become perfect and it's in never making a mistake. But rather after the Spirit. For that we that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Hallelujah. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now it goes beyond just living in the heart. It goes beyond just the new birth in the heart. He brings it right up into the mind where he says, you got to take that mind that was in Christ and let it be also in you. It's not just the, the, the new birth that you have the heart. That'll get you into heaven. You must be born again. But now he says, go beyond that. Go on unto perfection. Let it take over your thinking and your mind, your conscience, your reasonings, your memory, your affections, all of those things. Let it take over that imagination and make it a spiritual imagination. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. Oh my. So then they that are in the flesh cannot Please, God, for but we are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. Amen. That's why Jesus could say, you're of the father, the devil. You're not of mine. You're not of Abraham. You're not. No, no. You know Abraham. You know me. He's got a different spirit, which is where we're going this morning, Lord will. And there's a spirit behind it that's pushing it says, if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies. Now he goes even beyond. He says, it was in the soul. It was a new birth. It went beyond to make you spiritually minded. And now let it also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. 
Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not after the flesh to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And there is exactly where he brings out in Romans chapter 8, brings you right from a new birth all the way down to adoption. Brings you right from that where we, we get it. I ain't missing it. And we just did a podcast on this on Thursday, so it's a bit fresh on my mind and a bit off my notes. But we, 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 we get a conception on the Holy Ghost that when I get born again, I'm perfect. No, now you've got a spirit in you. God's given you by justification and sanctification a new spirit that can get along with his spirit. Then he fills you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost with his spirit. And now that's the tutor that can teach you and lead you and guide you into all truth. And now, as he says, it comes to a place where that now has taken over your soul. There's no more doubt. There's faith. But now it begins to work its way into your thinking, into your mind. It takes a period of time for you to become subject to learn of the tutor. For you to study the word. I didn't break up my Bible and read Genesis 1-1 and instantly know all 66 books. It took time to begin to digest, to begin to read, to listen to the message, for it to begin to be a reality in me, to begin to put on the mind that was in Christ. And then as I begin to put that on, it began to take over the flesh. Hallelujah. So that I walked a different way. I talked a different way. There was something about me that was just, I couldn't present myself a certain way anymore. I'll just say it this way. I was raised in the message. Y'all know that. Father was a preacher since before I was born. There was a time in my life it didn't bother me to wear shorts. I thought, if you want to think of me as a sissy, you go right on ahead. I know I'm not. Kind of arrogant, isn't that? But you know, there came a time where the Holy Ghost worked a little deeper. To the point where I couldn't wear them anymore because I realized I didn't want to present myself in that way. I didn't want to present myself in a certain way that someone would look at. As a brother Brown would take a woman and say the way she would dress and morally different things, it proves the spirit that's in her. Because if she really had the Holy Ghost there, she wouldn't want to present herself in a certain way. And he says, you husbands, why would you want to present your wives in a way that if a man would lust after her, he committed adultery with her already in her heart. And she's just as guilty as he is. Why would you do that? Why? Because it takes the Holy Ghost to give you the right spirit to eschew evil. It isn't in the seen realm that the forces of eternal life and eternal damnation operate in. Let me just say that again so you make sure you catch it. It is not in the seen realm. It's not what we see with our eyes, what we touch with our hands. It's not what we taste with our mouth. It's not what we smell with our nose, what we hear with our ears, naturally, that these forces operate in. But it's in the spirit realm, which is more real than this physical world. See, it isn't our physical appearance, nor is it our geographical, geological location. Geographical is the right word, sorry. It's not our church membership or lack thereof that bears witness of whether we are the children of God. It's the Spirit of God within an individual that bears witness along 
with the change in your spirit that you are a child of God. As the scripture says, we didn't quite read it all the way down, but verse 16 of that would say, the spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Amen. Amen. It's it's not how you dress, how you talk, how you walk. There's something within. Like Abraham who was walking with God, looking at the unseen, he was recognizing, saying, this man's different not because he lives in a certain place. I'm sure there was different hitchhikers in the day. Wanderers, merchants that just traveled around with nowhere to go, selling their goods here, doing this there. It wasn't totally uncommon for someone just to go somewhere. Perhaps it was completely uncommon for someone to say, I have no idea where I'm going, but I'm going. And God's promised me a land, and my seed will be as the seashore. And now, now you're getting into something different. <laughs> But just for someone to walk from point A to point B and not sure exactly what point B is, I mean, there, there's other hitchhikers. We still got them today. Yep. You still see them. You pick them up by the side of the road. Where are you going? That way. I'm heading to Edmonton. Where in Edmonton? Just Edmonton. Okay. Why are you going there? Don't know. <laughs> but it's the Spirit of God. But the man would talk about, and I, I want to take a whole other, just a whole other vein, a whole other channel in this, but the man would talk a lot about vibrations. He would talk about when someone would come up, and he'd, he would even talk about there's both good and there's bad, because he would take, you know, the gift, the first sign, how he would take someone's right hand and, their, and his left, and how he would have vibrations and different things that would appear, and he would see exactly what it was. But sometimes you'd notice in the, in the message, if you, if you begin to look it up, you'd realize he'd just have someone come up without even taking their hand, and he would say, you've got a certain vibration, I can see you're a real Christian. There's something about you. You know, devil, the devil's taking that and saying, you know, they give off positive vibes. You know, it's, it's a whole lot deeper than that. I would love to stand before a prophet of God and him to look at me and say, there's something about you. You're a real Christian. But it happened a number of times in the message where there's different occasions where Brother Branham would take someone and say, there's a certain vibration. Some place he'd call it a wave. There's something about a presence that comes with you. The spirit bears witness with our spirit. That we are the children of God. See in Colossians or Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12 and 3, he says, Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus the curse, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now there's a lot of people in the world that will say Jesus is Lord and not have the Holy Ghost. But that word say is more than just to speak in this dimension. It's to affirmatively speak that Jesus is the Lord. Not just my Lord, he's the Lord. To have an affirmation that I know that he is Lord. And you're not walking after the flesh because you can't call someone your Lord or the Lord unless you recognize them as Lord. So the Holy Ghost, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is the personal affirmation of the Lordship of Christ in your life. So exactly what Brown would say, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a personal revelation of who Jesus Christ is to you. This is now. There's two sides to this. Get into our subject a little bit and we've got good time. Perfect. In the message, God keeps his word. Brother Branham says, do you see the twist that we're in? 
1957. He says, do you see the American youth? Now, in 57, the American youth would have been Joe Biden. I went and looked up his age, his date of birth, 1942. That's the generation. Do you see the American youth? What condition it's in? That's men and women of tomorrow. No wonder Jesus said, except these days be shortened, no flesh would be saved. He says, therefore I'm basing my thoughts here that we're at the end time. The Lord Jesus shall come soon. But the spirit of the day, he says, oh, can you see? So think about this. The spirit of the day. Take on your thinking. Can you see what's happened before this great onslaught coming on to bring the mark of the beast and fulfill scriptures by forcing the people? After the hold is gotten, just like it is in other countries, force them into things that they do not accept. To cause the persecution and the boycott to come. Now notice what he's looking at. He's looking back at the youth of that day and he's saying, they're coming and they're going to bring this world to a place and there's a spirit behind them that's pushing them. It's not them. It's not that they're such bad people, but there's a spirit that's driving them to do something that will bring it to a certain place that it will force the people into the mark of the beast even though the people don't want it. No, I'm not talking about vaccinations. Just to make that clear. In the Smyrnian church age, Brother Branham says, I know they're blasphemy. We know that scripture, that's Revelations 2.9, where he would talk about the Smyrnians, and I know that, that they're blasphemy. He says, now, it isn't the thought here that these liars are blaspheming God, though that goes without saying. And it happens today. But they are blaspheming the true church. Now think about this. It's not just that they're against God. They've been against that a long time. But it's also that they're against the true church. They're against the people of God. It's always thus. The Jews in Jerusalem blasting the church at the beginning. The Gentile polytheists did likewise. If anyone is going to be evil spoken of, it will always be the true seed. In Nero's day, the Christians were blamed for every calamity. Even for the burning of Rome in communist countries, the little flock is always the first to be exterminated, though actually insignificant in size. Isn't it amazing how that is? It doesn't matter how insignificant the size of the true church is, they're always the first ones that's persecuted. Why? Because it's a spirit. It's as though the Christians are fine, loyal people, only do good. They will always be persecuted to the end. And then they might be physically destroyed. Physically. The reason this is so is because they are a rebuke to the godless. Like a sore thumb would stand out to the wicked. And though the righteous intend no harm or to do to the wicked, but want to do only good. Invariably, they find themselves embroiled as John the Baptist with Herod. With Herod. Sorry, not Herod. Herod. For John did not want to harm either Herod or his wife but to save them from the wrath of God. That's exactly what he had intended to do. He wasn't there trying to say, I don't like Herod, and how can I pick a bone with him? No, he was saying, i got to save him because the wrath of God is at hand. 
It was for good, but we find here that he got caught up in that and that Herod didn't take too good to him. He was thoroughly misunderstood and absolutely withstood. But John was put to death because of it. And for all the good the people of God do, they are still put to a public shame and death. Surely there must be some sinister force behind the people who would be so void of conscience that they would return evil for, to those that, who did them good. Yes, there is such a force. It is Satan. He says, the answer lies in the next verse, which is Revelation 2 and 10. It says, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. Now, I'm going to ask you bluntly. How many of you have physically seen the devil cast someone in prison? How many of you have physically seen the devil apply restrictions? I haven't, but it's a spirit. It's the unseen. It's something behind, but he says, the scripture says, it'll be Satan that will cast some of you in prison. What's the persecution going on? It's not the people. It's not that they're all out there riding and it's just a whole bunch of demons and devils. No, it's they're, they're, they're all there pushing the people to do something in a physical realm so that way they can manifest their works because the devil needs someone to work through. Just like God needs someone to work through. He says, what is it in the invasion of the United States? He says, what is it? It's the devil. The invasion is on. I ain't saying nothing about this individual or that individual. I'm saying it's unclean spirits that are possessing the people, driving them right into it. The invasion of the United States to overthrow, the overthrow of the church. The church is overthrown by the devil. Yeah. Hallelujah. Say, really? Hallelujah to that? Yes. It wasn't a bunch of preachers that just had ill intent. No, they meant good. They thought they were doing right. When they signed agreements with the Catholic Church, when the Catholic Church and Constantine all came together and they all got their things, they thought this was a great thing. They didn't realize the devil was right in there trying to overthrow the whole truth. He was trying to overthrow and trying to bring in his lie the whole time. And he succeeded over and over and over again. And except these days be shortened. He's come right in so he's so sneaky. He's a slicker. He knows exactly how to get his talons into certain places, exactly how to get into the minds of people to get them to say things. <laughs> I'll say it this way because I, I kind of played the devil's advocate a little while. When I was in Vancouver, we threw a surprise birthday party for my, my dad. And there was a bunch of cars parked all along the street, right? And we had him out for the day and it was at his house. So my sister asked, said, you got to find a way to distract him so that way he won't see all the cars. I didn't think about how am I going to distract him? I thought, I, I got it right now. So I, I thought about it. I thought, okay, I know exactly. So right when we were coming around the corner, I made a statement. I, I started to talk. We were talking about the theophany before. So I started talking. And I intentionally said something just a little bit off. And it caught him. And he started going. He said, no, no, no. Where'd you get that from? And let me tell you, let me correct you. He missed all the cars. Where did that thought come from? The devil knows exactly how to do that. How am I going to get you to miss what's being said this morning? 
I'll just come in and give you just a slightly off thought, and you'll just be way off in la-la land. Thinking about something else, and you'll miss what's going on right around you. He's a slicker. Five definite identifications. LeBron says, and the question arose, why is it, Bill, that we as Christians and this faith that we believe in, why is it that we constrained our women to wear dresses and act that way? Does not people of other churches, why, they, they, they wear those clothes like that, the immoral clothes, and why is it you couldn't say that they were immoral? Right? There's good women out there that live true to their husband every day of their lives. Don't dress very nice. He said, I said, that's true. I can't judge no one. He says, but you see, but by their fruits, they're known. They may not actually commit the crime, but on them is a spirit that's driving them to immorality. That's the, the whole world that we're living in right now. Let us come right back. Oh my, I better carry on because otherwise I'll skip way ahead. It's just like something else that took place one day when mankind, the sons of Adam, was backed into a corner, diseased, affliction, sin cankered them, eating them, driving them to hell like taskmasters. The devil has broke everything they tried. God sent them prophets. They've just done away with the prophets. God sent them judges. They've done away with the judges, the kings, everything they had done. He sent them the law. They didn't even keep it. Everything that could be done was done, and Adam's race stood helpless. That's the state the world was in for about 400 years there, from Malachi to Jesus. No prophets, no nothing. They'd done rejected everything. They'd killed every prophet. They'd done all these things. They'd stoned. They'd turned upside down. They'd rejected judges, princes, messages, laws. And and don't worry, the Gentiles aren't any different than the Jews. It's the same devil. It's a sickness, disease, affliction, sin. Everything held the little group of Adam's race at bay that no one could do nothing about. They were helpless. And the devil and his great marching army come marching in, well-equipped, powerful, supernatural beings, And they're set a little natural people with nothing they could do. It's exactly the state of Adam's race. Absolutely back against the wall. And he begins to talk about just like uh, Gehazi came up to the wall, Elisha's servant, and began to see, there's horses, there's chariots. Alas, my master, what shall we do? We're surrounded. It's terrible. There's army on every hand. We can't go east. We can't go west. We can't go north. We can't go south. Everywhere there's somebody. We can't even sneak out by night. They've guarded every inch. It was that way when they finally come to the place where all of these great supernatural beings, the devil, have pushed and pushed and pushed till the Romans had taken over a kingdom of iron. He says, but then something took place in heaven. It took the unseen. There was one that stepped out called Jesus, the precious Son of God, 
Think about this, even the, the, the place that the world was in, it was in such a debauchery condition that even when Jesus was born, King Herod could say, kill every child under two years old in that city. And his guards went and did it. They went and fulfilled that. Why? Because either them or somebody else. So they went and did it. What a place, what a condition the world was in. That finally, uh, there's something in the unseen where God began to say, now's the time. Now's the time where I can send my only son, where I can bring Jesus on the scene, where I, God, myself, could come down and dwell amongst men, where I will go down into the most sinful, into the worst condition where every supernatural being, leprosy on a rampage. It wasn't that day. They had colonies of lepers. We got the same thing today. They got nudist colonies. They got Hollywood. It's just sin colonies. Leprosy colonies. We're in the same boat today. Why? Because the Euphrates has done dried up. The great supernatural beings of the enemy have again set forth rampaging. Rampaging against what? The little true seed. He says, what we need tonight in looking at the unseen, what we need tonight is a unified church. Filled with the Holy Ghost and power from on high. Led by the Spirit of the living God on the control tower. That won't say, well, because I'm a Baptist and he's a Methodist, I'll have nothing to do with him. Oh my. A real true Spirit of God will recognize his brother and his sister. I don't care what kind of brand he wears. It doesn't matter if it's Adidas or Nike or Gucci or... With me? Whether they shop at Old Navy or Costco or Aritzia or Forever 21 or... It doesn't matter. I thought we were talking about spiritual. Yeah, but we're in the message now and we still bid our own cliques and clans. They don't dress like I dress. I'm the up and up. I ordered this one. This is a Ferrari jacket. Or whatever in the world the big fancy brand is. I don't know. I just shop at the cheap stores. You got some brothers that are smart. They'll go to Value Village and buy a $50 shirt for two bucks. Hey, man, brother. They'll find some great deals. But it doesn't matter what brand they're wearing. It doesn't matter if they got the good glasses or the bad glasses. It doesn't matter if they got glasses or no glasses. It doesn't matter if their shoes got dirt on them or their tie's crooked. There's a spirit within them that bears record. He says, I don't care what brand he's wearing. Oh, we need the leadership again of the Holy Spirit walking after the unseen. The way that God leads us. The things that we see are temporal. The things that we do not see are eternal. Hallelujah, that's what we need in the church again and what we have and what we need to be more sensitive to is the leading of the Holy Spirit after the unseen things. Sometimes we get a little too reactive to all the seen things. We read the news and we get reactive. We read what's happening over here, we get reactive and all of a sudden our spirit becomes so affected by what's going on in the world and in the economy and in the health organization and whether or not we're supposed to be vaccinated or not vaccinated, mandated or not mandated, whether we can fly or not fly or whether we can, and all these things are just mulling around and mulling and we get so tore up. That's things you can see, they're temporal. 
But what about the unseen that we need the leadership of the Holy Ghost that can look at you and say, listen, you're going to fly to a place one day that no plane can take you. And just for those of you that are concerned, you don't need to be vaccinated to take that flight. You don't need a COVID test. You don't need nothing. All you need is the Holy Ghost. Amen. Just remember, the Christian always looks at the unseen. Remember, you're endowed with five senses. One of them sight. He says, and I can prove to you that your sight don't see everything. Here this morning, right here in this room, right now, there is living representation of creatures and horror and adultery and fornication shooting through. But thank God your eyes can't see that. But there are living representations of creatures in this room. There are living voices in this room. And if you do not, then just go over to the television and see if it isn't people plumb across the nation that's being represented right here in this room this morning. There's figures uh, that are in their beings is passing right through this room. Is that true? Why? Because only way you'll ever know it is to have the transmitter. You've got to pick up and transmit it into reality. That's the only way that the church will ever know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, is to get that transmitter. The blood that transmits our sins away from us and brings us across the chasm into the presence of God, being sons of God, which he represents himself in. Oh, what a great thing. If we just look at that this morning, we'd forget the differences of the things that's in the world today and the things that people are looking for, the great number and so forth. We're looking to Jesus Christ. Now remember, the whole Christian armor is supernatural. If you're a Christian, see, you say seeing is believing. You'll never be a Christian believing that. You'll never be a Christian going around saying seeing is believing without pictures. I don't believe a bit of it. No, sir, not a Christian. A Christian looks at the unseen when there's no physical evidence of it. There's something in their heart that rings true. Amen, that we need more of that transmitter where we can recognize we need to be perfectly in touch. And I was studying on vibrations. Brother Branham talks about one lady. He says, you know, there's such a vibration that, 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 that I see that you're a real Christian of God. And he stops. And after uh, actually exposing or, or discerning, sorry, about 10 things, he says, wait a minute, you've got a real contact with God. Oh, my. <laughs> what a testimony. You really know how to contact God. You really got a transmitter that knows how to take your sin and bury it in the sea of God's forgetfulness and knows how to transfer you across the chasm of sin, across the chasm of time into eternity and put you right in the presence of God. We need to look at the unseen. We need to allow that spirit that's within us to overtake our thinking faculties so that we too could be spiritually minded. Not be stuck because there's, there's, there's an invasion of our thoughts. Thoughts have been invaded by the problems of others that we honestly have no business worrying about. 
Social media has called it contact. Called it keeping people in touch. Well, to an extent it's done that and that's good. But on the other hand, it's taken it so you know the problems of the people in places in the world that you got no business knowing. And you're coming to God to pray about something you got no business. You with me? This is getting a little more serious now. The point where you're remembering there's a believer down there in Florida. I'm just picking up Florida and not picking anything in particular. Or there's someone over in Africa and they say, I ought to pray for the whole church worldwide. Yeah, but there's trouble in your own back door. And you spent so much time about that, you've forgotten where you're living. You've forgotten the old mission field right here. Right where we're at, right here. What am I doing here today? What am I doing for God today? What am I doing right now? We'd rather take the problems of somebody else and rather come and focus our time to when we come and pray, it's not our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's our Father which is in heaven. Remember the saints here and this one there and that one there and this one over here. We got so many troubles in the world economy and this is going wrong and that's going wrong and that's going wrong. That's going wrong. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a song that I absolutely love. I was thinking about maybe singing it sometime, but I don't know if I ever will because I'm not a singer. It says, don't you think you ought to worship me? If there was a question that God could ask when we come to pray, what would the question ask? Don't you think you ought to just spend some time and just lift your hands and just say, Lord, I don't care about the vibrations of the world and everything that's going on. I just need to get alone with God. I just need to spend some time with the creator, with the author and the finisher of my faith and forget about what's going on. Forget about my job. Forget about the cares of life. Forget about all of the, the, the things that pull me this way and that way and say, Lord, I'm here for you. I need to look into the unseen and see that I'm a creature of eternity. Now, I'm one of those so-called holy rulers because I see in there, in those people, they got the sign of the living God with them. He says, and by faith, I believe that's the bunch that will go in the rapture. Hallelujah. I would rather have it than all the PhDs and the DDs and what the church can afford. He says, don't just sympathize with them. Become one of them. Mm. Amen. Don't just look at it and say, well, you know, that brother, he looks like he's really got a hold of God. That's nice. Be like him. Be one of them. Get a hold of God like he got a hold of God. I speak to young people a while ago, and I said, listen, if you've got God all bent up in a box, and you said, this is what God is, and when this happens, I'll know I got it. I say to you, go get the God in that box then. If that's the God you're looking for, go and get him and find out if that's God. Don't put him on a shelf and say, when this happens, no, so hunger and thirst after righteousness. Seek out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. too late to be playing church. It says that's when by faith, you walk by faith, by the unseen, I see a church going in the rapture. I see Jesus coming for the bride. I see a little neglected bunch of people who are laughed at, made fun of, going to rapture one day. I'd rather be with them than all the groups that I know in the world. For by faith we see, by the unseen we see. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
We don't see by our natural eyes. We see because God sent us a pair of eyes in Revelation 10.7 and said, this is what you need to be looking at. Amen. Even confirmed in a vision where he had that vision, Junior Jackson, where Brother Bam came and just tore it off with like a crowbar. And there was that white light granite. He said, look on this. Look at the unseen. He said it didn't even look like there was anything inscribed on it. It was just white and they couldn't really understand it. But it didn't matter. Look at the unseen. Says, so if the church of today, of this day, could ever pray till they pass the sin barrier. Oh, yes. Till they pass the unbelief barrier. Then they could have the shout of victory of the living God. When they once pass that barrier, they look to the unseen. And letting the world vibrate and do what it wants to do. Oh, church, if we could just get that through our minds tonight, this morning. Sorry to be so straight. But just let the world do what it wants to do. Don't be concerned about it. Pass beyond the sin barrier. He says, see, but there's a living God when we lose our disbelief and our unbelief. I love that. Because unbelief is the absence of belief, which causes one to reject or to follow the truth, which is sin. Unbelief is sin. But disbelief is the absolute rejection of the viability of the fulfillment of the word. In other words, there's a lot of unbelief, but you say, well, I'm a believer now, but still you can have some disbelief in there where you say, I, I don't think that's really going to. I believe the word of God's going to fall, but I got no idea how. Just say, Lord, you're doing it. You're working, even when I don't see it. <laughs> With these eyes that need glasses and are getting old, mostly useless. These eyes don't see. He's still working. I hope you got more time because we're just, we're just getting into it. Hallelujah. If you'll just look at the unseen, to the word, to the God who promised it, for the promise is unto you, to your children. Don't worry about those that are far off because it's to them that are far off. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I love that. The world is so concerned about them that are far off. The sun might die in a billion years. Promises to them too. God tarries that long. Don't see how he could. But if he did, the promises to them too. It says, if, if you look at the blessed word that says Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and forever, turn your heads toward that and press on until you pass that vibration, pass the unbelief barriers, the sin barriers, all the barriers that seem to hinder you. Then you'll fly free in the faith of God, knowing that all things are possible and there's no limit. Whatever you say, if you say to this mountain, if you say to this sickness, if you say to this devil, 
There's no speed limit to what the plane will go when it passes the sound barrier. There's no limits to the blessing of God will pour down upon you when the believer will just believe. The scripture claims him to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. Oh my. The hour we're living in the ecclesiasticals of spirits uniting together now and bringing them all into one big slaughter to blot out it's already in writing in this nation now that these churches has to be closed unless they're in the organization. It's a union. It's a boycott just like the mark of the beast. But now you see what the beast is, don't you? It's a power, an ecclesiastical power. Jesus said, it'll be so close to the real thing, it'll deceive the very elected if... It was possible. Thank you, Lord. But he promised to have something here for us in that day that we wouldn't be deceived. And that's the word and Christ to make it manifest to us. In other words, he's saying that's the word and Christ. That's the word and the anointing that comes to the word that makes the word live in an individual that makes it so they cannot be deceived because just like Jesus could not be deceived because he was the anointed word for that day. The bride is the anointed word for her day. Oh my, they're supernaturals. Listen, they wouldn't be deceived. That's the word in Christ to make it manifest. They're supernaturals, devils, unseen to the eye. But you can see what they're doing. Notice, he didn't say everyone can see. You can see. Jesus would say, um, in a little while, right? The world don't see me, but you'll see me. They'll persecute you because they persecuted me. They won't know you because they didn't know me. Why? It's something happening in the spirit realm. He says, notice, while that group is riding, making themselves ready to stomp out everything that won't agree with them. There is another group being made ready after a while. When are they ready? Listen, this ain't, this ain't while we're here. This is Revelations 19. Catch that. So it's not that we're rising up in this flesh, but there's something within us that's going to go up yonder. And in Revelations 19, what happens? The saints return back with who? With Christ. On white horses. He says, the next time the church is heard, Revelation 19, she comes also, not exactly, not upon exactly horses, but the Bible said he was on a white horse and the host of heaven was following him upon white horses. What's a horse? It's a beast. It's a power. He says this, he says, while this group down here has got 2,000, he says, but it's actually 2 million bound at the river Euphrates. That was bound for 2,000 years. Also, that church was bound, the, the, that church has bound the Holy Ghost for nearly 2,000 years. Under martyrdom back there, under the church ages, it was been bound not by the river Euphrates, but by the doors of creeds and dogmas that the Holy Spirit can't work through the church because of man-made systems. But she, the bride, is going to be liberated. She is coming back 
That's what the Bible said. And those two will meet one another on the battlegrounds, Lucifer and Michael again. Like in the beginning, they've been bound for 2,000 years almost, almost 2,000 years, but now we're coming down. Like at the beginning, and there was war in heaven when it was Michael and it was Lucifer. And then finally it came down, and when Daniel was seeking understanding of our day, who stopped it? Lucifer came in, and then Gabriel couldn't get through because Lucifer was a mightier angel than Gabriel. And we think we can do it on our own. Not a chance. But Gabriel said, I, I couldn't get through, but I called Michael. The same one that defeated in the beginning was the same one again that when understanding came to the prophet, it took Michael to come down and deliver it. And here it is again, repeating itself. Here is that ecclesiastical system coming right back, smothering out, tramping out everything that's called God. Oh, they got their systems, organizations, denominations, but they don't have nothing to do with the Bible. And they'll tell you right quick, they don't even believe it. Yes, sir, say what the church says. But it's say what God says. That is the word. The bride is with the words. <laughs> I love how he says that. He says it plurally. The bride is with the words. It's not just the anointed word for our day, but rather it's, it's both the vindicated, fulfilled word of days gone by. That's the foundation that's built up, built up, built up so it could come to the capstone in our day. Then it could bring the vindicated, anointed word for today down upon that foundation. He says they're one. How can they be one when that word that's wrote in there becomes in you? It makes you and the word one. That's exactly what he promised. And I will say it this way, and that is the only way you will ever stand in this day. I have to go a little bit farther. Just stay with me. We're just about through. I'm about to close. No human being could stand the effect of the full effect of that vision. Talking about John in the book of Revelations. And he would say, No human being could stand the full effect of that vision. John's strength utterly left him. He fell at his feet as though as though dead. But the hand of the Lord in love touched him. Hallelujah. Just like Daniel fell down on his knees and hands. Oh God. And that hand dropped down. It wasn't a hand, it was a hand of love. Daniel, you're greatly beloved. He touched me. He said this, he said, but the hand of the Lord in love touched him and the voice of blessing said, fear not, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead and behold, am alive forevermore. What is, what is there to fear? The judgment that fell upon him at the cross, at the grave, and when he descended was for us. He absorbed the full brunt of the wound of sin, and there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. See, for a surety, our attorney is our judge. Hallelujah. He is both attorney and judge. The judge, the case is settled. Oh my, when the prosecutor and the defense attorney, when the defense attorney and the judge are the same person, 
The prosecutor can say whatever he wants. I got this evidence. I got that evidence. I got that evidence. Where's the judge at? I see the defense attorney. Where's the judge? No problem. Let me take my other seat. Oh, I'm the judge too, by the way. They're innocent. They're dearly beloved. Oh, bride, dearly beloved of the Lord. He says, listen, here's the one. He's the mighty conqueror. Why should we fear punishment or death? It has been all been overcome. He never failed to manifest before us. Here's the one who conquered both worlds of the seen and the unseen. Hallelujah. Not like Alexander the Great who conquered the world at the age of 33 and knew no other way to turn for further conquest. He died a victim of sin and riotous living. Think about it. He conquered the known world. He was what the world would look at as the greatest general. He would look at that Napoleon Bonaparte. They would look at him as a great general. He was then, uh, 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 what's the right word? Banished to Elba, the island out there. He found himself conquered. Why? Riotous living, sin. He had an army of prostitutes follow around his army of soldiers. They conquered one world, but they couldn't conquer the unseen. But there's one that conquered both the seen and the unseen. Nothing could conquer Christ. He descended and now ascended above all. And unto him that has been given the name that is above every name. Yes, he conquered death, hell, and the grave and has the keys thereof. What he looses is loosed. Oh my. If he's ever given you the Holy Ghost, it's loosed. When he loosed his own spirit, it's loosed. There ain't no church, there ain't no man, there ain't no doctrine that can bind it again. It's loose. He says, and what he binds, it is bound. Once your sin is bound, it's bound. He says, there is no changing of it. There is no conqueror before him. There is none besides him. He alone is the Savior, the Redeemer. He's the only God and Lord Jesus Christ is his name. Whew. Let's go to John chapter 18. We'll close on this scripture. The phenomenal scripture and was the inspiration behind this message because I remember years ago, I had a few years ago, I said in Cloverdale Bible Way, and Brother Ed Bisco said, I've never heard a sermon preached about this. Well, I'm kind of competitive. <laughs> Sounded like a challenge to me. And I've studied over and over and over again, and I could not get a proper sermon out of it till now. John chapter 18 and verse 1 says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the book Cedron, and there was a garden unto which he entered, and his disciples, and Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men, and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Hallelujah. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that, they, that, that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus saith unto them, I am he. 
And Judas also with betrayeth him stood with them. As soon as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell on the ground. Then asked they he again, saying, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he answered, said, I have told you that I am he. If therefore you seek me, then let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spake. Of those which thou gavest me have I lost none. Mm. Hallelujah. I want you to notice Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this event as well. Not one of them write in there and say what John said. They write in there that Judas came and betrayed him with a kiss. And that they took him. That's that. But John with a prophetic gift. John was looking into the unseen realm. And he seen that when Jesus said, I am he, the people didn't move. But the devils were subject to Jesus. The devils fell backwards and fell on their faces. The ones that were driving the people to do that. They fell backwards and fell on their faces. Why? If it was the people that had fallen on their faces, Matthew would have recorded it. Mark would have recorded it. Luke would have recorded it. But none of them would have had a prophetic gift like John had a prophetic gift to look into the unseen realm and see what was really going on. This was not men with staves and spears coming against a man who was, who was so uh, broken that he was even sweat drops of blood were coming down. But rather this was demons against God. And with everything that they had, they had the burst of demons, 200,000, 1,000 that they were bound in the river Euphrates after that. But they came in with this great pressing. And the very words, I am he. They had to be subject to that. Just like Lucifer, when he came, he could withstand Gabriel. But when the I am came, he couldn't resist him any longer. Oh my, the demons were driving the multitude, some of them in madness, others swept along in curiosity, but the mixture of the multitude was not that the men and women and rich and poor, it was that there was men and there was demons. There was a power behind them driving them to do what they were doing in order to fulfill the scripture. But John saw the demons fall back. John saw them fall back. John saw them fall back. And now today, the Euphrates is done dried up again. 200,000, 1,000 demons have been loosed. I don't think I need to go into that too much in detail because we had sermons preached about it, but John actually did a wonderful job of it. Where it's been to the point where now the demons are loosed. They're loosed against what? Against the true bride of Jesus Christ. Against the true seed. But who are they after? They're after the seed of Abraham. They're out to get what you've got in you, but we find that they're still subject to the name. That it doesn't matter how bad it gets, no matter what devil is afflicting you this morning, it's still subject to the name of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what's tormenting you. Oh, there's freedom in this. It doesn't matter how bad it gets. It doesn't matter how much force they put, how much power, how much of a squeeze comes on the bride. They're still subject to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this morning, whom seek ye? 
Who are you trying to get in your heart? Who are you trying to seek after? Who are you hungry and thirsting for? If it's Jesus, seek him with all of your heart. Run to him. The Lord your God is the refuge. And under him is the everlasting arms. And he will drive out the enemy and he will say to you, destroy them. Oh, hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet. It's Lucifer and Michael again. All right, but here we are again, another great battle. Lucifer's trying to keep the people on earth. Michael, which is Christ, is trying to take him home. He didn't come in the revealed word of the hour just to give us more knowledge. He came to take us home. Take you back where you belong. Don't you want to go? He says, I've gone to prepare a place for you. If it wasn't so, I would have told you so. And the way you know, I am. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the one who has overcome both the seen and the unseen. It doesn't matter if it's something you see that's afflicting you or something unseen that's afflicting you. I am. And every devil is subject to that. Hallelujah. Jesus has conquered all. Just speak Jesus. You want to sing again? All right. Why don't you get ready? I know you're standing on your feet, but I'd ask Sister Angie if she'd just get ready. I didn't know if I'd get her to sing this or not. But just speak Jesus. There's only one name. We've come back to it. It's Lucifer against Michael. There ain't one of us that can defeat Lucifer. No, we can't. I can't. I could put all the best knowledge I ever had. Brother Harold, you could put all the best that you've ever had. Brother Ed could put the best he's ever had. It takes one man. The Lord Jesus Christ has already defeated him. And those that are in Christ, they've overcome the world. Satan can't touch you unless God says, all right, you can, you can touch this. You can do that, but only go so far. And when I say stop, it's stop. He's in control. Amen. Sister Angie, you can have your seat. Sorry to make you stand and sit, but. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Amen. Over every heart and every mind. Because I know that there's peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. 
till every dark addiction starts to break declaring that there's hope and there's freedom oh i speak jesus because your name is power your name is healing your name is life break every stronghold shine through Break every strong 
the shadows and burn like a fire. Amen. We ever sing that chorus again. If you want Jesus to come by your way this morning, if you got a need, why don't you stand on your feet? Sisters, if you want that peace again, if you want that anxiety to leave, you want your hair back, stand up and claim it. You want your peace, brother? Just stand up and claim it. Speak Jesus over it. Open your mouth. Whatever you say to this mountain, and don't doubt in your heart, you can have it. You want your family? Just speak the name of Jesus. Every devil must bow to that name. It must go back. It must go back to where it came from. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Whatever you need, just claim it this morning. Because your name is power. His name is power. Your name is healing. Your name. Jesus in the darkness. The Lord, you're the same yesterday and forever. Break through the sin barrier. Break through the unbelief barrier. Break through whatever's holding you back. Take what's rightfully yours. You're a son and daughter of God. It's yours by birth. It's your birthright. And he's here to claim it for you. none like you, Lord Jesus. Blessed be your holy name, O God. Blessed be your holy name, O God. We sing that little chorus together in moments like these. I sing out a song. In, in moments like these I sing out a song. Just let him know how much you love him. I sing out a love song to Jesus in moments like this. Oh, I lift up my hands. I lift up my hands. 
singing, I love you, Lord. Singing, I that again. so good he loves you it's just like just being able to return that back to him and say Lord I love you we just sing that just I love you Lord one more time ask for the mark if you just come and close in a word of prayer this morning singing I 